0: This week, I I don't get sick very much, but I got this terrible chest cold uh, in the middle of the week, and it was just awful. And so um, I'm asking you to uh, be gracious with me if my mind, if if you're like, where is Dale and his thoughts? Um, um, just be gracious with me. But um, but I uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for being Wildflower. Um, I'm gonna read you the most. Uh, really a quite paradoxical, mystifying passage of Scripture and then we're going to talk about it together. Um, it's one of those passages that it actually perplexes like the biblical scholars and you know this because when you start reading the commentaries to figure out about it, they all basically make an argument, and then at the end of the paragraph, they're like, we have no idea what this is all about. And all of them in, in unison begin to say this, but um, it's a really phenomenal passage that I think gets us to talk about this thing called wonder. So here we go. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took, him, took with him Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with them. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said with Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were awestruck as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen Listen to him. Are you perplexed? Shake your heads. Okay, Uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this community. And I thank you for challenging passages of scripture. And I thank you for this journey of Lent, this special 40 days where we come and align ourselves with you God, I ask you um, in this time we have with one another to allow us to be on holy ground, allow us to rip the veil back of our life, allow us to pause, to be still, and to find that wonder, to not look at all the problems of life, but to look at all the people and the way you are working to solve problems, to bring beauty, to bring love. I ask you, God, to open us now to the wonderful reality that you are present in our lives and in the world. And everyone said, Amen. If you made your way to Yaki Point on the southern rim of the Grand Canyon in the early morning, the biting darkness would make you shiver a bit. In your ears, you could hear the faint flowing rhythm of the Colorado River. You might set out your blanket and pour a cup of hot chocolate from your thermos. There's no wind this morning on this high peak in the Grand Canyon. Just deafening darkness and the river flowing a hundred miles below you. The stillness is pleasant, but if you're honest, it's a bit unsettling. And you can feel the impatience in your every breath. Finally, the sun begins its ascent and the canyon begins to glow in dusky reds and startling oranges. As the sun climbs, slivers and now shafts of light broaden until light awakens the dark purples and shadowed blues. The flickers are now full beams of light, creation's unsurpassed light show. And as you allow your body and mind to slow down, To be still, your internals, the part of you that's central core to your heart, sing with wonder. There's a rhythmic pulse within you, and you soar with pleasure. This is the sunrise on the Grand Canyon. This leaves you awestruck, surprised that every day this story happens again and again. And wonder. Wonder is this overwhelming positive feeling of surprise, astonishment, and awe. Wonder is present in being human. And we're talking together as a community about emotions, about how emotions are not just simply feelings, but they have an intelligence to them. They tell us something deep about the world. I told you about the lady that I met, the African-American lady at the DMV, who, because of the stress and strain of the DMV, got into a rhythm of calling everyone sweetie and sugar pie. And in this DMV, her way of kindness changed the room there. It literally made it different because her internals had set their course that kindness was the way to change the world. And so emotions are ethical. Emotions just aren't something in the brain or just something neurological or physiological, but they have an ethics to them. So we're, we're looking together at Jesus' emotions as he made his journey to the cross. And last week we looked at love, and this week we look at wonder. And we look at how Jesus approached this world with wonder, and what it might be for us to approach the world with the sense of wonder within us. As Robert Solomon, the f- professor of philosophy, said, emotions are engagements with the world that give us insight into the world. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says uh, this fantastic thing with his opponents on one side and with his disciples, his closest friends on the other. He says these words, the kingdom of God is among you. This is the only place in any gospel where he phrases it this way. This is Jesus' key statement, the kingdom of God, this subversive underground thing that is moving in our midst. But he says it this way, the kingdom of God is... Is among you and it alerts us that Jesus is talking about something of wonder of awe that at this moment in history everything is climaxing to this point in Jerusalem and and Jesus is all the promises of God are coming to this point and me and you and the entire world is somehow wrapped up in what is going to happen on Calvary And all of us are headed to a place that we know not where, but it's this place of beautiful, brilliant love, and we're being taken up in this movement, whether we like it or not. The kingdom of God is among you. So Jesus invites us to ponder what it would mean for our internals to just burst with wonder, burst with this awestruck delight that God is at work in our world, that our world isn't closed but open and full of Possibilities. This kingdom of God is now sh- taking its shape around Jesus and every one of us who decide we will follow him. So, the question that I want to ask this morning is what does wonder teach us about being human? What might this perspective of our internal life teach us, be core about what it is to share life with one another? What does it mean for us to engage the world with wonder as Jesus did? So you heard the passage of Scripture for the day. It comes to us just about halfway through the Gospel of Luke. And this passage of Scripture, it's what we call the transfiguration of Jesus passage. And you see, um, he takes three of his disciples, his sort of inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain. And this is Jesus' way of getting away from the crowds. And as Jesus gets away from the crowds. It's his way of sort of training his disciples. And so he's praying. He's probably teaching them rabbinically what prayer looks like. And all of a sudden the disciples notice his face begins to change. And then his clothes become dazzling white. And then before they know it, there appears before them Moses and Elijah. And the significance of this whole scene becomes clear that this is a scene of spectacular wonder. We're not to sort of comprehend this rationally, but to say to our minds, wow, wow, look at what happened here. And so the symbolic importance of Moses is that this is the the patriarch of Judaism. This is the one who is a master of wonder, seeing the burning bush, inviting the Israelites to, to be liberated through the ten plagues, and then liberating through the Red Sea and finally providing manna and water in the wilderness. Moses is one who knew wonder, who had his internal compass charted by the wonder of a God who worked in this world. And then there's Elijah, another master of wonder, one who would raise the dead and one who called upon uh, rain to visit the earth. And then one who actually, in the story of the Bible goes, he didn't die but was caught up in the whirlwind with God. And so these two figures symbolize for us that the climax, that this movement, that, that this movement of Jesus is now reaching its climax in Jerusalem. And what's fascinating is the passage talks about the departure that Jesus now takes. The word they use there is exodus, exodon in the Greek. And so Moses and Elijah are there, and Jesus is there, and they're saying, now you go to the Exodus. So just like Moses liberated the Israelites from the Egyptian bondage, Jesus would now liberate the Jewish people from the Roman bondage. But the scale is even bigger. This is like epic Star Wars stuff here, right? It's the cosmic patterns of good and evil. It's not just Rome that Jesus is liberating, but Jesus will do something unthinkable. He will go to death and come out on the other side with liberating life for all. So it's the cosmic battle of good and evil that will take place here. And so if you're a disciple, you're like, wow, wonder upon wonder is being revealed. And you got to love Peter because Peter is like filled with this wonder. And he's like, I got it. I'm going to build this, this um, monument for you and for Moses and for Elijah. It's like this is Peter's Mount Rushmore moment. You know, the president's faces are going to be built upon and you got to love it because this is some big wonder going on and, and can't you relate to him? But then it says he didn't know what he was saying as if his idea of wonder wasn't fully comprehended yet, as if he was just acting sort of like out of his mind. And I remember uh, Steve Kerr, who is now the coach of the Golden State Warriors, I remember when Michael Jordan, stay with me, this one gets good, when Michael Jordan retired for the first time, I remember that, uh, you know, you, kn- you remember his dad uh, got kidnapped and was died, and so he leaves basketball to, to play Major League Baseball, or at least to try to, and they, build a, they literally build this beautiful statue outside of the Chicago Stadium in honor of Michael Jordan, 18 months later, um, you know, the the Major League Baseball thing didn't work out, and he decides to come back to the Chicago Bulls. And, like, basketball fans across the world are, like, cheering. And I remember um, Steve Kerr, who was a commentator at the time, saying, like, you know, the the whole sports radio was like, well, does Michael Jordan start when he comes back to the Chicago Stadium, you know? And I remember Steve Kerr saying, well, Bill, when you have a, a when you, have a, uh, when you have a statue outside of the building with your name on it, out of you, typically you get the starting nod. <laughs> and there's this power in monuments. And there's this power of building this monument. And this is a moment where Peter says, hey, this is so important. This is so epic. I'm filled with so much wonder. Let's build a monument. But Jesus is going to say that, but you're not getting it all. Wonder has a deeper dimension in the Christian faith than just simply awe and wonder. There's, there's a deeper thing that this is calling us to, and Jesus has been reminding his disciples that this wonder is about the reality of death and life. And we don't like to talk about this as, as Americans. We like to, to um, think that our health care and our medical will keep us alive forever, but Jesus is reminding them that we're all frail, we're all fragile, and I have to go through death To come out on the other side with life. And so the wonder, the paradox, the mystery of Christian faith is that from death, new life comes. And this is actually beautiful and wonderful to think that everything in our life flows in these cycles. Death and new life over and over again. I was hiking with my kids in the woods in Breckenridge and we noticed this little, like, little, place we were hiking had, there were, there were dead tree lamps and there were alive, flourishing, vibrant ones. Death and life everywhere present. And somehow the mystery of all of Christian faith that Jesus is getting us to see is this one had to die to bring life to all. And so isn't it true that this cosmic truth of one dying for all and then all of our little deaths along the way, all of the ways that human life is about, Dying to one identity or one thing we thought life was going to head this way, and finding new life again at new opportunities, new possibilities. So, then Peter. After Peter uh, messes up, the passage goes on, and and, uh, what happens this time, it's wonder upon wonder, right? So not only do you got Moses and Elijah and Jesus dazzling white, face changing, but then you have a, a cloud that overshadows them. Literally a cloud that envelops them. Now clouds in the Bible have this incredible importance. This clouds mean that God is present. That God is literally close and in this moment. And so they're, they're caught up in this beautiful cloud, this symbol of spirit. And then comes a voice that says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And so the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they're like this awe upon awe, this wonder. They're just awestruck of what does it mean then to listen? And so our question is, what does it mean for us to engage the world with the wonder, as Jesus did. And so the disciples learned that wonder, according to um, Jesus, that, that wonder is about an openness, a flexibility, uh, living as though there is a world full of divine possibilities. Wonder is about trusting in God's creative action in the world. So wonder causes us to pause and to be still, and to remind ourselves that a greater entity than ourselves is at work. So the opposite is some form of fear, maybe some type of terror, where we believe that the world is closed and inflexible, and it's closed to any type of possibilities. But Jesus invites us to live in the wonder and awe that our world is open, that our world is always flowing with new possibilities for life upon life, and that from our places of death, and from our places of uncertainty, and from our places of doubt, from all that makes up human life, we find life and vibrant life. And so Jesus will say, the kingdom of God is among you. There is death and there is life in our very midst because of the one who went to die and rose to life. And so I was wondering in my own mind, what does this mean? What does it mean that our eternal internals are committed to wonder? What might a life look like that internally is focused on wonder? Last week we looked at what love would look like, entrusting ourselves to a God who shapes our identity and in commitment and covenant. And this week we look at wonder. What might it look like for your insides to burst with a sense of God is always creating, building, moving, shaking, stirring in our midst. And I think that Wonder calls us to stand still, to slow down so that we can observe. The very heart of this idea of wonder is that you have to be present to see it, to experience it. And so wonder calls us to be attentive to God's actions in the world. Instead of listing the problems of the world, we begin to name people and institutions who are building up the most vulnerable and making tangible differences. And so wonder calls us to inaction To stay still and quiet, wonder calls us to enjoy the life we've been given and look around and ask some questions of where has God been working in my life? Where has God been working in the life of my family? What's God doing in my son and my daughter? What's God doing in our world? You see the shift there? Most conversations that I'm in, I think it's like a natural pension of humanity. We talk about how bad the world is how it is decaying and rotten and, oh my goodness, we need change. But embodying this eternal, internal reality of wonder causes us to ask some different questions to say, look at all the good that is being shaped in the world. Look at that agency that's feeding the poor in Denver. Look at that church and the bright hope and light and love that it's bringing. Out of death comes life and wonder and awe. There's a couple other things when we create this spirit of wonder within our very hearts, we dance and we sing and we rest and we play. There'll be time for work and work is good and work for justice is important. But when we cultivate this heart of wonder, we realign our lives under divine possibilities, awe, wonder, instead of the work. We learn to rest and to play and to say, guess what? This world is bigger than me. And there is a God who's acting in the world. There is a God from this death that life is coming. And I get to stand in awe and wonder at it all. We acknowledge to ourselves our own limitations in that wonder. And we get to see the very forming of a new world. The kingdom of God is among you. The other thing I think it does is wonder changes the very facing of the reality of death. It changes the way we see it. We don't need to fear it, we don't need to flee from it, we don't need to fight it, but instead we know that from death, this new life comes. I did a funeral for a man, and he he had had this perspective, this perspective of the wonder, of what he had contributed throughout his whole life, what he had built with his life, and the family that he had grown through his life, and I remember he wanted to meet with me before he was gone, and he had this plan, and it, and it was really light, and he was really like, uh, he, he loved being humorous. And I'm, I'm like thinking, like, I'm going in there for this really serious thing. And he's like, hey, Dale, relax. I'm going to die, and you're going to do the funeral. And it was amazing to me because he had this perspective of wonder inside of him. And so I started asking him questions about what this meant for him. And he said, listen. I have lived a good life, a whole life, and now it's my time to go, and I've invested into my kids, into my grandkids, into my garden, and my life goes so that other life can be brought about. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's incredible. That's that perspective of internal wonder, that perspective that reminds ourselves of who we are in the cosmos and taking a break and taking a deep breath and remembering that we are created to enjoy this world, this one life that we've been given. Clarence Dutton was this 19th century American geologist. He was awestruck by the Grand Canyon, and he wrote this. At sunset, the pageant closes amid splendors that seem more than earthly. The sun draws near the horizon. The great drama begins. The western sky is all aflame. The climax has now come. The blaze of sunlight so rich, so strong, so pure that makes the heart ache and the throat tighten. The sun sinks, but its glory mounts upward and diffuses itself in the sky above. Our lives are filled with sunrises and sunsets. And Jesus invites us to this wonder, awestruck reality that it's in the darkness. It's in the death. It's in the ache that God is transforming us. So we are headed towards the cross. We are headed to this moment in the church calendar where the cross happens and new life is there. But I wonder if we've realized how wonderful this is, how wonderful the news is that from death, new life comes. Have you ever paused and allowed yourself to grasp the enormity the surprising wonder of God's ways in this world. Amen.